Hello and welcome to The County Conversation, a podcast featuring employees and subject matter experts from the Fairfax County government, discussing programs, services, and items of interest to residents of Fairfax County. I'm Bob DeMarco, filling in for Jim Person. On this edition of The Conversation, we're talking with Kendall McFarland, Foster Care and Adoption Specialist, Department of Family Services, and we're here to talk about adoption and adoption awareness. Kendall, thanks for being on The County Conversation podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, Before we get to the meat and potatoes of this uh, important subject, we like to find out on this show a little bit about the person we're we're speaking with. So how did you become uh, an adoption specialist? It's been a little bit of a long journey. I started off shortly after college doing AmeriCorps within the United States, and that was largely a response to Hurricane Katrina in the South. And that really started my passion for giving back to the community and doing something of purpose. From there, I ended up serving as a disaster relief camp um, coordinator. I did their recruitment and put together a lot of their volunteer activities in the community. Then I went and did Peace Corps in East Africa. Um, And when I came home, I got a job with a nonprofit and I was doing a lot of administrative work. And it really wasn't hitting home for me. It wasn't feeling as personal and as impactful. So I quickly decided that I was going to go back to school and get my master's in social work so that I could go back to a lot of the boots on the ground work with families and communities and making that impact. And child welfare was something I learned about in graduate school. It seemed really important and it just hit home for me. It felt like a really good place to start with a lot of complex needs. And I started there in grad school, and I've been there ever since. I could see why one in your line would be drawn to uh, working with kids because, I mean, what could be more important? And you start to think that more and more once you're a parent, of course. But but even before that, if you just put your mind to it, uh, it, it, it makes sense. It's almost out, out of a out of a selfish sense of survival, you want to look out for the next generation. And I think kids, admittedly, children and the elderly are the most vulnerable populations, and they are going to be the next, you know, the future, the wave of the next generation that is going to be helping myself and other people (laughs) as we age. And I think in general, it's going to shape society. So ensuring that children are happy and healthy and have permanency and family and connections is hugely important to how successful we're going to be in the future as a country and just as humankind. Yeah. Well, way way beyond those pragmatic uh, concerns is the fact that children are innocent and they are full of potential. And, and that's why most people, many people love kids and love to be around. So let's talk a little bit about foster care and adoption. We all know what adoption is, and we all have a vague notion of what what foster care is, but <clears throat> how do they affect one another? How do they interact with one another? So within the county um, construct, we have foster care, and foster care is a little bit different than adoption in the sense that when children first come into foster care, it's because a determination has been made that they can no longer remain safe in their family of origin. And so they are placed in foster care for safety reasons. 
But the number one goal of foster care is reunification. It's to return children to their families of origin. And if we can't place children with their biological parents, then the next goal for the county is actually placement with relatives. So I think sometimes that's a misconception about foster care, that we remove children from their families and are immediately looking for adoptive families or foster families to adopt children. That is not the case. We They're removed from their home for safety reasons, but then the number one goal is always reunification. So Initially, in a case, that is the primary goal. We are working with parents to provide them services. We are continuing visitation. We're really focusing on the goal of returning that child home. Now, when a case does get to a situation where it has been deemed um, that a child cannot return back to their family of origin safely after a specific period of time, after providing those services, then we do as a county look for a permanent option for that child. A child needs a family. A child needs permanency. So that is where adoption shifts. It comes in a little bit later when it has been determined that that child cannot return home. You talk about uh, for foster care, removing the child from their um, family of origin, that home, uh, for their safety. Now, when that happens, um, is something happening with the family to make it a more suitable environment to return the child to? Yes. So when we work with families, we put services in place addressing whatever the issue is that brought the child into care. So if the issue is substance abuse, then we are putting services in to help that parent, help that individual address those substance abuse issues. If it's mental health issues, then we are putting services in place and trying to work with that parent to address those mental health issues. Um, So yes, we are putting services in place to help remedy that situation to return that child home safely. In the unfortunate situation that you cannot do that, and reunification is not a possibility, uh, then what happens? Uh, Presumably it's adoption, but how does that move forward? So as I said before, our, our secondary goal often is relative placement. So as a county, we're always working two goals. We're working to return home, but we almost have a contingency plan, so to speak, of working with relative placement. So We start family finding very early in the process of when children do come into foster care to identify family members that would be viable placement options. And if not a placement option, a support to that child, emotional, um, you know, spending time. So however a family member can support that child throughout foster care, even if they can't be a permanent placement for them, is a really big deal in helping children maintain normalcy and maintain ties to that family of origin, to their background, to their family history. And it could be that there's more trust built up already because there's blood there. And um, I would imagine, um, you know, meeting a whole new family and all that, there's a there's a much longer process of, uh, you know, getting to know these people, getting to trust these people. And I would imagine being involved with the family, like you said, not only keeps those ties up, but might be easier for the child. It's, it's actually much easier. Oftentimes, uh, a lot of the foster care world, the child welfare world, is shifting towards kinship placements, is what we refer to them as. Um, 
Kinship placements are incredibly important for children in maintaining that sense of identity, that sense of belonging. Um, You sit around, the holidays are coming up, right? Mm -hmm. So you sit around at holidays and you look around the room and you see, oh, I have Aunt Sarah's nose. Or, man, I've got Uncle Bob's laugh. Like, oh, that's not fortunate. (laughs) But you you see yourself in the individuals around you. If you uh, are a child that has a knack for engineering, taking things apart, putting it back together, and you find out, oh, my grandfather did that. And you know, my dad kind of likes to tinker around with stuff. There, there are some invaluable things that come from knowing your family and knowing that history and knowing how you fit and where you belong. It gives you a sense of belonging in the world. Mm. And I think that when children are placed without family or outside of their family, um, that is a piece that is missing. But if children are placed with a foster family, and that foster family is interested in adopting them, um, and we are going to move forward with that, there have been families that have done an absolutely phenomenal job of what we term in our line of work, bridging the gap, Mm. which is making connections with those biological family members to essentially extend that adoptive family, that foster family, to include family of origin, um, extended family members. So that way, even if the original family is not capable of taking on the responsibility of that child, they can still be involved and still be a part of that child's, uh, um, you know, quilt of family. Exactly. Exactly. I have a child on my caseload right now. The older sister was adopted by a maternal great aunt she could not care for another child that came into care. And so that child has gone to a foster family, and that family is interested in adopting him. But already they meet up on at least a monthly basis. They go to the park. They go for hikes. They hang out together. And the sibling bond that was initiated while in foster care to ensure that those siblings were having visits and knew each other is still continuing with this adoptive family. And so they're kind of extending the web to an even larger, you know, catchment of family members. And that just ends up enriching this child's life with knowing his family of origin, but also having these incredibly wonderful adoptive parents who love him and care for him and are everything, you know, that that he needs to keep him safe and healthy and have permanency moving forward. What is the, for adoption and for foster care, but for adoption, what is this, I hate to put it this way, but what is the supply and demand? Are there a lot of kids who need homes? Are there a lot of people looking to adopt? What's the relationship between supply and demand here? Well, in general, through the county's process, you do need to become a foster parent before you can be an adoptive parent. So in general, we are in need of foster parents. Um, I think it's also important to note that we are in need of foster families that represent the children 
that are in care. So there are a much higher number of minority children in care. Mm -hmm. And I am fairly certain that the numbers of families that represent the same racial backgrounds as those children, cultural backgrounds as those children, are not in the same quantity. So there's a huge need for foster parents and, um, in turn, adoptive parents. Uh, how, how important is that, <clears throat> or how specific is that cultural connection? Um, say you have a, a, um, you know, a young a child with Bolivian background, are you gonna try and place them in a Bolivian family? Is that kind of the goal? Not necessarily. Um, I think when we look at foster and adoptive homes, ultimately we're looking for people that can love children. We're looking for people that can provide for them. We're looking for people that are committed to them and committed to understanding the trauma, the abuse and neglect that they experienced that brought them into care and working to meet that child's needs um, no matter what. And so really, if you have a very loving heart and you are committed to helping these children, then I think you can be successful. I think there is also some benefit to having the option of aligning cultural background so that what I just explained in terms of what you get from your family of origin, the, the cultures, the traditions, the understanding of that background, that there can be a similar sense of belonging within a home for a child if they're placed in a home that has their same cultural background. So in the example you just gave, a Bolivian child, they're likely Spanish speaking. Sometimes kids come into care and they don't speak any English. Mm. So placing them in a family where there's a shared language could be hugely important to helping that child very quickly feel safe and feel comfortable and even able to communicate their needs. Is it a necessity? No, absolutely not. But does it help? Yes, I do think it does. Um, that being said, the other thing that we do with our families is similar to bridging the gap. If you have a family that has a child from a different cultural background, again, that's where family of origin can come in very handy if your cultural background does not uh, match up with that of the child placed in your home, then you have family members from that child's family of origin and from that cultural background, then they're able to serve, you know, um, in that capacity and, you know, continue keeping that child very intimately connected with all of that family history. Speaking with Kendall McFarland, foster care and adoption specialist with the Department of Family Services, we're talking about adoption uh, here in the county. And uh, Kendall, it's uh, National Adoption Month. What is Fairfax County doing to celebrate this uh, this month? We're doing a couple different things. Um, we're doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. We are having an 
adoption event on November 6th. It's going to be a virtual event where we have a presenter and we're going to do some activities and really just celebrate uh, the adoptions and adoptive families that have taken place this year. Um, we also have a presence on the Fairfax County website. So if people want to go to the Fairfax County website and check out foster care and adoption, there will be updates on there of profiles of some of the families that are currently fostering and adopting. We also are, we always do this, but um, it's even more important this month to highlight the children that are still awaiting adoption in Fairfax County and throughout the state of Virginia. Is that a large number? Yeah. So um, right now in the country at large, there are 122,000 children mm. waiting for adoptive homes. They're legally free to be adopted and they're awaiting adoptive homes. In Virginia, there's over 700 children in foster care that are waiting for adoptive families. So there is a large need and a large need for foster families. So the goal is to get all of these children in permanent homes. And, um, you know, I believe you should always be reaching for a goal, but there's also something you should be running from. And in this case, that would be what happens to these kids if they don't, um, if they come out of foster care and they don't have a permanent connection? Um, that does happen. Uh, we have children that at 18 can come out of foster care. The program does extend until 21. So we are able to provide services to children until the age of 21. But for those kids that come out of foster care, um, not just with an adoptive home, but without any permanent connections, individuals that would be there for them in any matter of a variety of different situations to help and guide and mentor um, kids that come out of care with those permanent connections are at much higher risk, statistically speaking, for employment issues, education issues, mental health challenges, and they have an increased risk of homelessness and human trafficking. Mm -hmm. So the outcomes are not great, yeah. uh, which is even more reason why we need families to come in and be willing to foster and adopt. And as I shared before, the benefits of having relatives step up and be involved, even if you can't serve as a relative as a foster or adoptive home, to be involved in that child's life as that source of permanency is incredibly important. Uh has your department, have you yourself um, been impacted by or um, uh, been affected by an influx of, you know, I know we have some refugees from, from Afghanistan in the county we have. What about children who, do, who, who don't have families to begin with, to be, to be taken from, you know, for foster care? How, how do they work into this scheme? We have had some children that were undocumented come into care. Um, they were sent to live with individuals in this area or they um, immigrated here and then came to be in the Northern Virginia area. Um, and if it is found or they have been found to be, you know, abused or neglected in a variety of different ways or not have caregivers, um, then yes, those children can come into care and have sometimes come into care. Thank God, uh, you know, your service is here because, um, you know, adults, most adults uh, have the resources 
to take care of themselves when they need to. Uh, even when the chips are down, you know, they have uh, they have experience, life experience to guide them. They have other people they know, but children, you know, they need all the help they can get. And so it's great to know that this county takes this issue seriously. What about uh, foster care and adoption and Adoption Awareness Month? Do you want listeners to this podcast to be left uh, with? As I shared before, the main thing that you have to do, I, I think foster care can be a little scary for people. Um, it seems like a huge commitment. It seems like it could be, you know, a large financial burden. Um, I think the main thing that you need to possess is a very open heart and a desire to love and commit to these children and provide a safe environment and stability for them while they're going through an incredibly challenging time. Um, you don't have to have a ton of money. Uh, you don't have to have, you know, education or child development degrees. Um, many people who parent do not. <laughs> so it's kind of those same qualifications. You really just have to have an open heart and the capacity to love and to try to be understanding of these children's needs and meet them the best way that you can. Um, and I, I do think one of the other things is that I've learned, at least from the work that I'm doing that I feel is in service of others, I think one of the, the little secrets of our field is that it pays itself back tenfold in terms of the sense of purpose and the emotional benefit and also the lessons that you learn in resilience and strength and forgiveness from these children, it pays itself back tenfold. So it, it might seem like it's a, a big ask or a huge commitment, but I genuinely believe that what you get in return far outweighs um, what is given. Well, you said it right there. Thank you so much, Kendall. I really appreciate your being here. That's going to about do it for this edition of the County Conversation. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our guest, Kendall McFarland, for joining us. For more Fairfax County news, visit fairfaxcounty.gov news. You also may call 703-Fairfax. That's 703-324-7329. Weekdays between 8 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. The County Conversation is produced by the Fairfax County, Virginia government.